Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Vichar, the official podcast of Azad Awaz. Azad Awaz is a monthly magazine by the Center of New Economic Studies at OP Jindal Global University. The magazine aims to focus on the issues of the marginalized sections of society whose voices are often muted and deliberately silenced. Azad Awaz's previous issues have dealt with problems such as class, caste, gender and sexual orientation amongst others if you are listening for the first time do take a look at our previous work in today's episode of vichar we will be looking into the uh, state of assam in the northeast region of india which is renowned for its diverse population and rich cultural her- heritage nevertheless for several decades the matter of dewaters has afflicted the state leaving numerous individuals in a state of uncertainty and vulnerability dewaters also known as doubtful voters are individuals whose eligibility to vote is questionable due to their inability to provide sufficient citizenship documentation this contentious problem has deep historical roots and has remained a significant concern in assam's political and social spheres for a prolonged period we are proud to host professor anubhav tiwari as our guest today to speak about this issue professor anubhav tiwari is an assistant professor at jindal global law school his expertise is in research methods constitutional law public international law and criminal law Professor Tiwari completed his law from NUJS Kolkata and has obtained his LLM from the University of Essex UK in International Humanitarian and Human Rights Law. He pursued his PhD from Monash University Australia on the role of the Indian Supreme Court on refugee rights. He has published extensively on refugee rights, human rights, constitutional law, intellectual property rights, etc. Good afternoon professor thank you so much for being here today um i would like to begin by asking you uh, the classification of an individual as a de voter not only leads to their disenfranchisement but also hinders hinders them from accessing substantive rights such as ration cards uh, and makes them similar to second class citizens however unlike the latter the condition of de voters is not static as they experience a shift from accessing rights before the categorization to not and there are chances of accessing rights again if declared as indian how do you think de voters blur the line between first class and second class citizenship okay thank you so much um and on your first question um i think the first thing we have to be very clear about that in assam there are many many identities so when we speak about de voters it is essentially a legal identity so even in terms of legal identities there are several legal identities in assam so de voter is one then there is suspected foreigners then there is declared foreigners now after the nrc there are there is another category people who have been included in the nrc those who have been excluded from the nrc and then of course the legal uh, sort of identity of the families and especially the children of people who are characterized under these right and uh, one more identity which we can also uh, now talk about in legal terms is the identity of a indigenous assamese right so uh, hitherto before this it was probably a socio political identity but it is now uh, we are now in 
seeing the its introduction under the law itself. Uh, so that is one. This these are many legal identities, but but if you see beyond this, there are many other sorts of identities, right? There are ethnic identities, there are socio-economic, cultural, and religious identities, right? Uh, there is identity based on territory, outsider, insider, migrants, right? Uh, so in in that uh, in that aspect, you will see identities such as Bengalis, Assamese, Bengali Hindus, Bengali Muslims, okay? Um, then Muslims in general who are are known as Nias uh, in Assam, right? Then there are plantation workers, right? So there are lots of these identities, but yes, now your question becomes relevant because amongst these identities who are Let's not call them first class citizens, but let's call them genuine citizens uh, and who are second class citizens, right? So we come back to this legal categorization now. Um, so in that aspect, these legal identities very clearly create second class citizens, okay? And it has different names, like I said, but from a... We, get it out of the legal perspective, we look into the social perspective, and there are even more categories which oscillate between genuine citizens and uh, second class citizens. And that's where the problems in Assam lies, because there is a perpetual oscillation. You never know which category is going to become second class citizens. Okay. And then there is, of course, the difference between in, in practice and actually in theory. Uh, who are who are second class citizens uh, according to the state, but on the ground who are second class citizens, right? Um, so I think the when you talk about D voters or people who have been excluded from the NRC or people who are suspected foreigners or now declared foreigners uh, from the uh, by the foreigners tribunals, they are at the forefront. They are very recognizably second class citizens by law. Right. And that creates a layer of exclusion, which is very, very real and practical. Uh, and that layer of exclusion is firstly voter ID cards. As the voters, uh, you you have a different sort of a voter ID card. But then in 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 today's India, it is exclusion from Aadhaar, which is very, very pertinent. Um, so this is so this this class actually has. Uh, is at the forefront of being legally second-class citizens, but the but the problem is that any of these identities, which I very briefly mentioned, uh, can be thrown into this legal category of second-class citizens, uh, and then can face all of these problems all over again. And when we talk about documents, documents are just the gatekeepers of accessing rights, right? So we have actually we need to go beyond the documents to how accessible basic rights are for people. Right? So there the problem becomes that almost all of the second class citizens, whenever they become as such or at the present time, how are they going to access very, very basic rights? Okay, and what will what will become of their descendants? Um, so yes, these legal categories absolutely blur the distinction or more than blurring, it actually sanctifies the distinction. It creates this distinction, right? Um, 
and that is what we have to we are dealing with or we are seeing in assam it is creating this divisions and the question is will it be restricted to assam uh, and that is the broader question right so that's my answer to this question so maybe uh, you could also uh, tell us something a little bit more about how this creation of uh, division has kind of hampered them from accessing full the rights that a full citizen uh, is able to so how is this impacting them uh, socially economically uh, financially yes firstly there is a very social aspect of it um, which is which is very difficult to document or know uh, except apart from a very qualitative based research but this social aspect talks about respect dignity prestige right which comes with recognition now we are not just talking about recognition of citizenship but in a country where citizenship is such an important characterization almost to the extent that it recognizes their humanity so in a state like assam which is which is uh, experienced this uh, even before uh, the independence this becomes a question of recognition of humanity recognition of their prestige right and it's a basic recognition issue so socially it's a huge problem uh, it creates a huge huge problem uh, then there is the problem of economics about it the financial problem it brings first of all the the biggest financial and i in our work in our field work we 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 observe this a lot the financial and the emotional go together right um so some of the financial problems are actually very legal problems so accessing documents accessing courts accessing tribunals you know um losing uh, losing days of work to to do all this work you know to to go through verification exercises to get your documents in order or even to find them um uh, plus the anxiety which comes with that because you are not dealing with, you're de you're basically dealing with something which is not in your hands right you never know what the outcome would be um so of course there's a lot of money involved not just hard cash but money in the form of days of work which is lost right uh money in the form of the a kind of jobs you can be employed in okay if if there is a if there is a sense on the ground that there are outsiders who are taking away jobs then people who employ also have that in their psyche and that percolates um so economically emotionally it creates lot of divisions it creates lot of challenges uh we saw all of those challenges coming to the forefront during the nrc exercise that's when our uh, field work uh, was located that was the time our field work was located we saw all of this coming to the fore at that time so there is of course the social uh, exclusion um there is the economic exclusion there is uh, an emotional traumatic anxiety which goes with it um and these of course it is all sort of uh, because of these categories because these categories are being uh, there's no final say on it 
there, there is no finality on it yet. Okay, thank you so much for your answer. Um, now moving on to the second question, which is largely on the political landscape. There is a contest between uh, the BJP and Congress to change the status of the de-waters from migrants to refugees. Do you think this shift is possible? Um, why has this shift not happened yet? And will the current situation of uh, de-waters change if this shift is made? Yes. Uh, so initial short answer to this is yes and no uh, in terms of whether this shift is possible. Um, one of the most pressing reasons for saying that this shift might be possible is actually uh, because of the text of the CAA, the Citizenship Amendment Act, right? Uh, which seeks to recognize some of the excluded or some of the declared foreigners uh, or de-voters, uh, all of these categories we just mentioned, as refugees, okay? And then include them within Indian citizenship status. Okay, the problem there is, it is, as we all know, it is restricted to non-Muslims. So, but if, when we talk about change of status from the excluded to refugees to eventually some sort of Indian citizens, uh, then the answer that it might be possible, the most stark example seems to be the CAA. But then a more resounding no comes from within Assam itself. Because if we see the protests around or the resistance against the CAA very closely over the past few years, the most forceful resistance has come from Assam itself. Okay. And that, that goes back to the whole politics of citizenship in Assam. So the resistance to CAA is not on the basis of the fact that uh, there should be no change to the category. But the resistance is that this is not a religious issue. This is not just about Muslims and non-Muslims or Hindus. Okay. Um, because, like I said, there are a lot. There is there are lots of other identities. There. For example, what they are against, including Bengali Hindus, right? Uh, and as refugees, they are against recognizing them as refugees because if they are recognized as refugees, firstly there will be some recognition, and then secondly that might lead to uh, them getting Indian citizenship, and of course that might lead to them being included as Assamese. Okay. So first point is, so it, there will be a lot of resistance beyond the religious resistance on the basis of culture, ethnicity, resource citizenship. There is also this insecurity again uh, about resource management in Assam. And of course, there is a whole uh, umbrella around who is an indigenous Assamese. Right? So changing these, the status from some sort of illegal status to some sort of legalized status is what I'm understanding your question is about, will see a lot of resistance from Assam itself. Now, we have to recognize that NRC as an exercise had almost unanimous support initially from all the groups. Okay, so we have to recognize that. So the second point is, 
if there is a change then what happens to nrc and now NRC did have initial support. Of course, now we have reached this, uh, reached an absolutely pole opposite situation where it does not have support, and that also is a problem. Um, so it had. So what will become of the whole NRC exercise if it is nullified in any way? Who has the authority to nullify it? Right? Will it be the state government? Will it be the central government? Or should it be the Supreme Court who actually took it upon itself? It was, we have to remember, it was actually the brainchild of the Supreme Court to implement it. Right? NRC was, NRC or all of these verification exercises for Assam were already under the laws. It was the Supreme Court. So what happens to these exercises? Um, is something that such a change in status will have to address. So, Again, the side on the no is, is actually more tilted, in my opinion. Uh, but hopefully, there will be some balance in the future. And we can see some change of status for those who are excluded right now or will be in the future, especially on the grounds that it is not practicable. It's just not practical to have so many second-class citizens or foreigners without a final sort of a resolution of the problem okay so i would say the answer is yes and no why this has not happened yet again it, it goes back to my answer because it's a very complicated uh, issue it is becoming more and more complicated as the days are going by if you are following how nrc uh, is being taken now there are calls for scrapping the entire nrc list and redoing it in, in some form Okay, so we are actually seeing this problem getting more and more complex and being resolved. Uh, and in, in such a scenario, is a shift possible? Uh, we that is a lot of ground to be covered before conversations on that on such a shift leading to some sort of a resolution is possible. Okay, thank you uh, so much for your answer. Uh, my next question uh, largely again builds upon the, uh, the division that you spoke about in your first answer. Um, some groups such as uh, the Tibetan groups have been perceived and categorized as persecuted minorities or refugees in India. Uh, whereas the devoters or who are largely the Rohingyas of Myanmar are perceived as illegal migrants. So what is the, um, what is the, what, who makes these classifications and why do these classifications lack uniformity? What is the factor that makes it uh, that makes one group of uh, people my illegal and one group um, refugees? So who makes these classifications? The main classification we are talking about is that of an illegal migrant. Okay, this comes from the Citizenship Act. The it's 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 quite a conundrum because the definition of a citizen uh, under the laws is basically a citizen is someone who is not an illegal migrant right but there is a more expansive or definition but still very open-ended of an illegal migrant which is an illegal migrant is someone who has who is firstly not an indian citizen so it's a circular sort of definition but who has entered India and stayed in India without documents. And these documents mainly are passports, 
passport and visa. So basically, they are inside and they've entered India and they've come to India or stayed on in India without the permission of the executive or the government. Uh, second, uh, second point about who makes this classification is under the constitution, anything to do with uh, foreigners or admission or expulsion from India is under the union government's powers. Okay. Uh, so it is the union government which exclusively has the power to deal with it. Um, now, this has also uh, been held to be constitutional and has been sanctified by the Supreme Court. Um, so under the union government, it is the home ministry. Right? Now, now going back to why are the classifications not uniform across groups of foreigners? Let's call them foreigners. Um, it is because India has always maintained an ad hoc policy towards refugees. What do I mean by ad hoc policy? It is basically said we are going to deal with refugee groups on a case by case basis. Okay. And generally, it has been in favor of accommodating some at different levels, but not accommodating them to the extent of giving them citizenship. Right. So um, there are there are two ends of the spectrum here. When the government wants to treat someone, uh, wants to apply a case by case policy towards a group, on one extent is a very exclusionary sort of uh, characterization as an illegal migrant, where they say that okay, uh, these are this group is an illegal migrant. That's fine, but this is an illegal migrant group who we think is a threat and we are going to actively pursue the force of the law against them. That is something we've seen uh, in recent time against the Rohingyas. But then there are other groups who they say that, okay, this is an illegal migrant group, but in some ways we recognize basic their basic rights. Okay. Uh, we recognize that they cannot go back. In short, we recognize they are not a threat to us. So temporarily they can be accommodated. A prime example of a long term group like this is the, the Sri Lankans, the Sri Lankan Tamils. Okay. Um, but then these are refugees. These are actually in some ways the government has unofficially said these are refugees. But then we come to what happens to the excluded um, in Assam, right? Now, under the law, illegal migrants will still be relevant as a classification to them. And they are not technically refugees, right? So, so again, on going forward with this ad hoc policy on a case by case policy, there is firstly the problem that we are not just dealing with refugees in Assam. Mind you, there are refugees also in Assam and that is one other group. They are refugees from the 1960s who also do not have have not got uh, citizenship and some of who found themselves excluded from the NRC also. Okay. Now, but as an umbrella category of illegal migrant, Unless, unless you have permission from the government, 
you will be legal migrants and the second is the best way to have the permanent solution out of that legal definition is to become an indian citizen right so the uniformity is because broadly because of two factors one is that the central the union government has almost an exclusive domain over all foreigners including refugees over even foreigners who are later identified as foreigners they might be living as citizens but are identified as foreigners so they have the exclusive domain over it and secondly their policy their ad hoc policy of dealing with groups refugee groups even foreigner groups right so there is no uniformity in how they deal with it so of course there's no uniformity in how they classify these groups right so that's that's how i will frame this answer but then one other thing is this is not as simple as that every every government every government and party is constantly trying to reorient its citizenship outlook so with the with the current government we are seeing a very religious sort of citizenship outlook that is very clear for example there very important stand for the hindus from the pakistan from pakistan the hindu refugees from pakistan right very important stand but classifying it in a religious belonging sense right so every every government or every sort of ideology is also constantly trying to reorient this idea of indian citizenship but what is what is very peculiar or very noticeable in the in the past at least two decades at least uh, post 2000 is that citizenship is beca- becoming the core of of politics right of of uh, the politics around who is an indian citizen or not um thank you so much for that answer it was very comprehensive um my so moving on um there are there are multiple government initiatives such as um increase number of foreigners tribunals detention centers um the establishment of exclusive databases suspected and declared foreign nationals uh, amongst others so and these are contributing to the perceived fear psychosis amongst the muslim community in assam how do these measures impact the protection of um uh, civil liberties and human rights in the region and to what extent are they uh are the government initiatives contributing to uh the othering of muslims in assam okay in my in my in my view basically coming from what i observed during my field work and our and our uh, findings during the field work this question needs to be rephrased slightly um because this fear psychosis is shared by many communities okay uh i will come to the special uh, sort of insecurity and anxiety which the muslim community has but we need to be mindful that a lot of communities now especially during the nrc and with with the uh, extension of foreigner tribunals and detention centers and also with the uncertainty about who is going to be excluded right so this is now a, a concern which many many communities in assam are going to have and i think if if this is not resolved 
lot of uh, assemblies might also be concerned now, right? Um, so first is that, uh, but yes, because of the CAA and what we in the briefly spoke about in the last uh, question and answer, in the last question, because the CAA and the religious nature of citizenship being uh, made at the forefront, being brought into the forefront, uh, of course, Muslims are recognizably very insecure, uh, would be very insecure. Um, and also because all these measures seem to be very one track measure for resolving the citizenship question. So, so citizenship question needs to be resolved is, is quite a loud feature in Assam right now. And we are seeing all of these top down measures to resolve that. Okay. And resolving the citizenship question means many are going to be excluded. Um, so yes, there's a lot of insecurity, but because of the CAA and the politics around it, the introduction of the religious nature of citizenship, uh, Muslims are, are of course, very recognizably uh, insecure. Now on the other question, how do these measures impact the protection of human rights in the region? Like I said, because the urgent uh, need right now or everything is geared about resolving this issue of citizenship, it seems that everything else has taken a backseat. Administration, of course, in some ways, but also uh, civil liberty measures or human rights measures. It seems like that, or at least they are not the, at the headline or the front page of the conversations happening in Assam. But how I see it is different. I think post 2015, when the uh, NRC exercise started pro properly, uh, civil society has been very active in Assam, uh, very vibrant. They have been becoming more and more vibrant, more and more richer uh, in the sense of uh, the strategies they are adopting, the number of people they are reaching, the communities they are reaching. And again, on that, I would like to rephrase this because the civil uh, society is is actually catering to a diverse set of groups because they understand that the problem is not just limited to a religion, but it's a it's a problem which affects a lot of people in uh, in the state. So uh, it should have impacted the civil uh, rights movement negatively, but actually it is strengthening it uh, is what I feel or what I saw. Uh, when I was there and it has been continuing to be like that. Now we are seeing a lot of initiatives which are helping uh, uh, people access courts, get get free legal, free legal aid. Uh, so all of this has been possible because of the vibrancy of the human rights movement in the state, which is getting better and better. And I think the attention which the issue has got in the country and outside has also helped that uh, for the better. Okay, um, thank you so much. So my last question uh, to you today is in terms of policy, how can we envisage having um, safeguards in place to prevent the potential misuse of power by local officers in the process of identifying doubtful citizens, uh, especially considering that their responsibility uh, in carrying out the task and, and also the history of the illegal migrants um, determination by tribunal acts misuse yeah actually the role of the local officers in the process of identifying doubtful uh, citizens or foreigners became 
uh, very one-sided after foreigners tribunals were reintroduced uh, by the Supreme Court. Um, and the IMDT Act was scrapped by the Supreme Court. Right? So before, in terms of policy, before any proper policies, even in, in good faith can be taken, I think a clarification, a constitutional and legal clarification by the Supreme Court itself is required. And uh, again, this is coming from our research um, that it is the Supreme Court which has not been a, a sort of, it has also found itself embroiled in the politics between citizenship and rights, right? Um, so whereas in this, this conflict between citizenship and rights, there is a lot of focus on citizenship, especially by the government. But it was expected that the Supreme Court is going to balance it out by uh, focusing on the rights aspect. This has not yet been done. Neither has constitutional position of uh, under the law of the citizenship question in Assam, or I would say even in India, has been clarified by the Supreme Court yet, or at least by a constitutional bench of the Supreme Court. Now this is this is uh, right now under review because the CA is under review and this is an important supplementary question to it. Um, so before any proper long-standing policy can be undertaken, the constitutional position needs clarification, and that can only be done by the Supreme Court because we have to understand that the local officers are working under the ambit of policies which are under the ambit of the law, which is under the ambit of the constitution. So we need, in this case, we need a top-down clarification and resolution. Uh, and it has to consider not just the entire problem of insider-outsider in Assam or the citizenship, but it also needs to consider what will happen uh, to the access to rights question or whoever is excluded in the future. Right? So that, because that is the domain of the Supreme Court. That is, that, that is the part three exclusive domain of the Supreme Court in a sense, right? Uh, so my, in my understanding, based on our research, this problem first needs to be, to have a constitutional clarification, one way or the other, and then it can be tempered by appropriate policy, policy measures. Okay. Um, so thank you so much, uh, sir, for having this very insightful conversation with us. I think it um, gave us a lot of clarity on um, just initially from classification to treatment. And then um, also we touched upon a little bit of um, policy and what the way forward is. So thank you so much for this conversation. Um, and uh, we, were, we were very, very grateful to have you uh, speak with us today. Thank you so much and thank you for calling me. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you.